and welcome to part two where I'm talking with Eric Bowden and we are answering member questions. Let's get right to it. All right, now he actually, Tristan has one more question, but I'm going to save it for the end because it kind of dovetails with what I want to ask you about. And we're going to move on to Rich Rodman. Rich is a brand new contributor to the Insights Library over on Mix and Light. He's a DIT. He's done some insights for us. And he has a question about, you know, in his kind of work, there is no, he, he could be working with anything at any time on any day. JPEG 2000, Longop H264, Red, Phantom. How should he frame his thinking on building a rig, especially for a DIT who's mobile and needs something that can move with him and is rugged enough to deal with what he has to deal with? Essentially, he has to build to the media that has the highest requirement. And that's that's really what you have to do because you will not find hardware that is going to give you ideal performance with everything. Gotcha. And that's, that's rule number one. That's a rule you can use regardless of, you know, his particular uh, workflow requirements versus a studio edit machine, you know, versus a full-on, you know, DaVinci grading machine, uh, you know, system uh, is essentially you have to look at the media that has the heaviest requirements. You got to build to that first. And so in this yeah. mix that I gave you, JPEG 2000, mm-hmm. Longop H264, Red Phantom, what would you consider to be the heaviest weight that he's going to have to do? Red's going to be. Red. Because simply because red itself, you have a GPU acceleration element just with a codec itself right. because of the GPU acceleration debearing. Uh, so that is going to give you the you know the biggest weight requirement that you have to fulfill as far as that goes. There's going to be limitations with some of that media. For example, H.264 and even H.265, for example, is is not going to perform as well as some of the other codecs. Now, if you get a higher clock speed chip, you know, like a 10 core 6950 clocked at, you know, 3.9 or 4 gigahertz. Right. The, the long GOP codecs are going to perform as good as they're going to perform. Right. In other words, you're going to get the best performance out of that system that you really are going to get out of anything else. Yeah. Uh, a dual Xeon system is not going to be very mobile, so you're going to have a hard time building a dual <laughs> Xeon system and lugging it around. You're probably not going to enjoy that experience. I, I got to tell so, you, um, and, our, and our members will know this from the insights I've done with Rich in his studio where we took a look at his DIT rig. And, you know, his kind of high-speed system is based around the new Mac Pro. Uh, And I I was a little surprised until I realized a couple things. One, it has a tiny footprint for what it does deliver, right? And it has those Thunderbolt um, IOs that are these independent buses. And so that actually is kind of a a nice little thing to put on a DIT cart cart compared to say a laptop or like a small like square mobile workstation your thoughts yeah i mean that's honestly it's it's the form factor and the ability you know with the thunderbolt connections you know the mac pro that gives you because you have a you know very lightweight you know pretty high performance system for the for the size for the size example exactly uh you know with the with the mac pro trash can that is you know harder to get with a uh, PC system. If you, you know, get a rack mount, you can definitely do it in a Windows-based system and get much better performance, but it's still going to be heavier and right. you're still going to be lugging it around and, and then, you know, 
obviously in that case, most of your devices are going to be built into it uh, for the most part, most likely. So there is that advantage. It, it's really just going to be down to weight and whether you need the performance of a Windows-based system. The, the decider in this you know, particular uh, question is really going to be what performance do you need to do the work that you're doing on you know set or on site so i and, think and i think for him the performance that he needs would be basically processing these things right it's moving stuff mm -hmm. on off of cards and onto multiple redundant backups possibly doing some transcoding and whatever color corrections happening is generally fairly lightweight right they're not adding filters or anything like that it's really the the transcoding that is going to be your biggest requirement there because as it's you know right now with the mac pros they don't have the render performance that you can get out of a windows based system right. so you're going to sacrifice transcode speed there's no way around it um you know your your, your real-time playback and you know moving media off you want to qa the media you want to move it off to storage you know that kind of thing the, the the hardware limitations of where the Mac Pros are right now are probably not going to affect you so much until you start getting into higher end media like Red. Right. Then then at that point, you're still going to be better off with a Windows based machine. Now, can you get um? I mean, is it high performance Windows based laptop? Yes. Okay. And what would what does that look like? Like what well, is, what, are, what are the elements that I'm looking for? If I'm in the market for that, what am I? Is there? You're you're going to be limited to a quad core chip if you go that route. Okay. So you know you would still get better performance out of a Mac Pro than you would for the laptop, for example. Because I know like but, Razer has been popular. I've seen them all over the place, right? With their high performance, with their HD screens, and you know all that stuff. I mean, is that is would I could I custom build a laptop in any mm -hmm. way that I can with a tower in the PC world? Not any way. Yeah. What custom optimizations you can do with a laptop are going to be storage. For example, you know, Clevo normally has some of the best options like Asus does as far as what hardware that you can uh, add to it. As far as storage goes, you can add two or three or four storage devices as long as at least two of them are m2 for mm -hmm. example right. um, you can have two video cards you know in them oh, wow. but laptop video cards the ones that actually have them because not every laptop has a full video card they have chips on the board on most of them right uh, on the laptops that do have actual video cards in them you can have two of them and some of them which you can't really get in a lot of different laptops so you know those are interchangeable you don't necessarily have to get both you can get one and they normally for example with uh, clevo laptops you have a couple different choices on the video card you can get you know you can get a you know 1070 or 1080 mobile you know equivalent video card so you do have those options and then you have you know memory options depending on which model you get most of the laptops in the higher end Clevo flavor you have four slots in so you can have you know 64 gigs of RAM in them so you know you can get a quad core chip that's in the 
turbo 3537 you know gigahertz range you can get 64 gigs of ram and you can get two video cards hmm. which essentially you know unless you buy a more expensive mac pro yeah with the current you know pascal video cards gives you a, you know a, a close to an equivalent of what uh, you know a, a previous 2013 mac pro can do right Right. Um, the upcoming one, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I got things to say, but I, this is, let's keep going. So let's Sorry. move on. <laughs> let's move on to um, onto the close here. And I've got a couple questions for you. And I'll start with Tristan's, the one that I skipped over, which is what about cooling? All right, and he's asking. For post-production, do we need to be obsessive about it as it seems like the gaming, like the custom gaming world is obsessed with with cooling? They've got these closed-loop water cooling systems with their multi-GPU rigs. Why aren't we seeing closed... Why aren't we seeing water cooling in our DaVinci Resolve rigs? Well, number one, uh, water cooling, there's basically two families you have a, a, a self-contained system which is you know the, the basically the water cooling radiator the block it's all built in a sealed system right. you don't add any liquid to it you don't take it out right it's not like it evaporates and you got to keep filling it up and right. you know spilling water it, all over it exactly right. well that and the other side of it is you can't really add any type of you know basically you know tubes or points off of it right uh, so it's only for the CPU, for example, and those that we've done in testing initially showed a little better than some of the cooling options. So we use them for a couple years. The downside that we found out with them is the pumps fail constantly. Oh, and, and because those of pumps that, aren't working your toast. Well, yeah, I mean, you're pretty much, you know, the chip gets really hot and you can't really use the system and you got to replace the cooler. So we pretty much quit selling them. Another reason was newer Noctua heat sinks came out, which were performing as good or better than the, the totally self-contained water coolers. So there was really no reason to even use them because and, they were no quieter and they didn't have any real benefit to them. And so wait now, because you said something interesting there, because the water cooling is only for the CPU. So well, the self-contained ones. The yes. close, would that be closed loop? The close, that, okay. Yeah, the closed loop ones where you don't really mod them, you don't add to them, you don't have, you know, GPU water cooling blocks that you add to them. So then are they then also doing fans to supplement the water cooler then in order to keep the GPUs cool? No. They're, they're, as far as if you're using the closed loop ones, um, then those, yeah, it's just using active fan cooling for the GPUs, you're not replacing those heat sinks. Okay, so it's not if, like you're if, replacing fans with a completely silent water-cooled system. No, it's just I can maybe reduce a couple fans, but I'm still using fans. Right. E on the Even on the self-contained water coolers that are just for the CPUs, they still have a fan with them. It just basically becomes your external exhaust fan at the same. Gotcha. You know, for the, your CPU is what it ends up being. Gotcha. That's why it's not really any more efficient. Right. On the actual water cooling kits now, those you can actually get better cooling with. What system builders run into is they're not really feasible to ship. ADK tried that a long time ago, 
And what we had to do is we had to completely drain the reservoirs and the coolers before we shipped them. <laughs> then we had to send the systems to the clients and the clients had to fill the reservoirs, you know, and start the water cooling process. And then even then there was potential where, you know, one of the connections came loose or somebody hit something or yeah. it, it was just a nightmare all the way around from what I was told. I wasn't there at the time, but that's what I was told. So, that pretty much ended as soon as they went through a couple of experiences like that. Yeah. If you build your own rig, water cooling is definitely an option, but I will warn people, I have dealt with, you know, more than enough people that have run into issues where the water cooling system gets a leak and your system gets fried. Ooh. Yeah. So to me, it's just not worth it. Right. Unless you're just trying some really serious clocking that, I don't really support anyway. Gotcha. All right. Now that brings me to my next question. And this comes up frequently when colorists and editors talk about buying these PC rigs, which is, can I just go out and buy a gaming rig? Because these guys are taxing their systems too. Supposedly these things are well built. So why don't I just go buy a gaming rig and call it my DaVinci Resolve station? Is that a viable alternative in your opinion? Well, I mean, it's always an alternative because essentially a gaming rig is going to be, you know, out of the desktop market. It's going to give you the most customizable options that would allow you to build it towards an edit workstation, for example. Right. But you have no control over the hardware, one. It depends who you buy the gaming rig from, for example. You know, buying a system, for example, that HP says is a gaming rig or buying one from Dell Alienware that they say is a gaming rig, completely two different things. Right. The the Dell Alienware system is going to have, for example, depending on which one you pick, very likely may have an X99 board in it. Right. It may have, you know, far more slots in it. You still don't control it, but at least it has hardware in the higher end workstation flavor that you would be able to potentially build a you know, an actual DaVinci system out of. Yeah. But even still, you don't necessarily have all the slots. You don't have exactly. all of the, you know, BIOS settings that you very well may need. You don't, you know, have necessarily the power supply that you're going to need for the hardware that is getting put in it. So there are a lot of limitations whenever you buy a tier one OEM gaming system that are going to, you know, limit you in what hardware that you can put in it. And the other thing I found with these gaming rigs is you really got to kind of add up the total cost of ownership because even if they have enough slots for you, you still have to go out and it may be a deal at first compared to, let's say, a custom build, but then you still have to add your Declan card. Then you're still going to have to add, I don't know, your Thunderbolt 3 card. You're still going to have to, like, by the time you spec it all out, you're kind of at the price of going to a custom builder um, and maybe even a little bit more. And, and then also you have to deal with all the lights and stuff that they put in there that you may not want, especially as a colorist in your room, you know? Well, yeah, you definitely have that. <laughs> some, some of them can get pretty, you know, far out there as far as the cases go. Yeah, they're crazy. Uh, it really just comes down to the hardware options available on the board, the bio settings and the power yeah. supply they put into it and yeah. what video cards and, and hardware you can put into it. What I can tell you is more often than not that the tier one OEMs um, boards that they put in there are not going to have 
the amount of slots available that you can get, for example, from the Asus X99 WS uh, 3.1 board, right, uh, or even you know one of the Gigabyte boards, uh, for example. So you're just not going to have all the features, and you're definitely not going to have all the BIOS settings. I deal with Dells all the time at work, and they have more BIOS settings now than they did in the past, but they really don't have tremendous voltage control all right. so, so, in their systems. All right, so I'm a Mac guy, and I hear BIOS settings, and they don't have all the BIOS settings. I have no idea what BIOS settings could you possibly be missing that you would need when we're putting a rig together for post-production? It depends on what hardware you're putting in and also what memory you're putting in and whether you're trying to clock up the CPU, for example. I mean, okay. to give you an example, you know, the 6950X 10-core chip that I mention quite often by itself is a, is a base 3.0 gigahertz chip. It right. turbos to 3.5, right. okay? If you don't change anything to it, that's what it does, okay? That puts it in the range, basically, of what a 2687 V4 Xeon chip does. Okay. That you can get, okay? Um, that In that particular case, if that's all you clocked it to and that's what you left it at, you could get dual Xeon 2687 V4s and have equivalent clock speed. Gotcha. I put it into an ASUS board or a Gigabyte board, I can clock that chip up to 4 gigahertz or more, depending, you know, on, on what my expertise is and what I know I need to do and what the chip can handle and I can get much better performance out of it. Then on top of that, I can put in higher speed memory and I can change the power settings potentially or the current settings and get higher speed DDR4. So wait a second. So you can, you can actually, wh why would you want to adjust the, if, you, if I adjust the power settings going into my RAM, mm -hmm. That gets me more performance? Yes. Yeah. Huh. Big time with GPU acceleration because everything you do goes through the memory. Gotcha. And that has a tremendous impact on it, which is why the Mac Pros have really fallen behind the tooth, is, you, know, as far, you know, behind the current hardware as far as what performance you get out of them in the media content applications is because you don't have near the memory performance in those that you do in the current X99 systems or the dual Xeon systems, for example. So having faster speed memory increases that performance benefit that you get out of memory because the faster the memory is, the faster the data is moving right. back and forth. And you can literally, uh, by adjusting voltage and power you can kind of tweak up the system, as I think what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So on depending on the motherboard you put in, then that affects your ability to do all these tweaks to get Correct. another X percentage of performance out of your machine. Correct. And it, in this case, in what editors are doing, it's not so much X percentage performance. It's about how many, for example, more effects can I get on the timeline before right. I have to start rendering? Right. Uh, how much media I can put on the timeline before I have to start rendering and render times, right. which are huge impact um, by the memory performance. So that's really what it comes down to. And it, it's not so easy to quantify because each project is going to change overall, you know, the complexity of the project, the type of media that's on there, the type of FX and, you know, all the activity you have going on throughout the timeline is going to affect what your performance is going to be. But your 
biggest impact to being able to play that back real time besides the CPU is the memory. Now, while we're talking about power, let's uh, switch gears slightly. And how do we determine power draw and determining our battery backup needs? Is there a formula you use? Is there a rule yes. of thumb you can give us to make Absolutely. sure? Okay, cool. Lay it on me. It this is actually a big problem we've run into at ADK for years because the, the, the UPS manufacturers do not put this information out, um, which is really kind of surprising because that's their market. Yeah. But it, it, essentially what you have to go by with UPS units, number one, is you have to go by the watts rating or load rating of all the hardware plugged into it. In the case of a computer, that load rating is the power supply on that computer. Uh, for example, 1300 watt power supply is 1300 watt load. That's gotcha. exactly what it is. Okay. The reason you have to go by that, because everybody looks at it and says, well, you know, my system doesn't run full power all the time. I just have to figure out what the utilization load is, not right. what the initialization load is. It's the initialization load that you have to go by. When you first turn your computer on, that power supply is pulling max load because it's initializing all the hardware. So and that 1,300-watt power supply is drawing 1,300 watts at, at boot up? At, at boot up. Startup? When you first start it up. Okay. Now, what that time, paying, you know, time frame is before it idles down into what the utilization load is. Right. It depends on the hardware and you know that's that's not so easy to quantify the power supply manufacturers probably know that but nobody else really does but the reason you have to go by that is all those circuits have to initialize and it's in order to initialize them it's basically initializing them like you would initialize other electronics at full power and then once you know all the circuits are initialized then it's going to idle down Gotcha. To what you're currently using. The, the, the most of the UPS units that you have nowadays are what's called line interactive technology. And looking at engineering designs, you know, that manufacturers have for line interactive, they have a transformer that's on the main circuit. And UPS manufacturers are not going to... Uh, put in a, a much bigger transformer than that's capable of handling a load than what that UPS is able to handle because it's, it costs more. So they're going to put in a transformer that matches the load capability of what that UPS is. Right. Right. So you're saying, okay, I know that I'm not drawing when I'm working. I know I'm not drawing that full 1300 watts. So I'll get something smaller. And what you're saying is if you get something smaller, it's not going to be able to handle that initial power up. And so you need, to, you need to base your system based on that draw out of that computer yes. at power up. Yes. And what that runs into is stability. And, and we've run into it more than a lot of other companies simply because, you know, we, we're pretty aggressive with our hardware. Right. You know, we're, we're clocking the chips up higher. We're clocking the memory higher. You know, we're getting higher in memory that you can clock higher, those kind of things. So you're, you're dealing with hardware being pushed towards its potential, its maximum potential. You don't have a, a margin of you know, error as far as stability goes. So you need all the hardware to initialize correctly. Right. Okay? Right. If 
you take, you know, for example, we have have this over years because people don't know this and they don't necessarily call us first before they do it. They go out and buy a UPS based on the model number. For example, that's another thing um, to go about is all the model numbers of the UPS are based on the volt amp rating, what's called VA rating. Yeah, the VA the rating. That's what I've rating. always looked at. Yeah. Right. That's the model number. That's not yeah. the load rating. You have yeah, to go VA look and see what the load. Or whatever it is, right? Right. Yeah. VA fifteen hundred is full, you know, volt amp potential. That's not necessarily the load capability. The load capability is the is the watts rating, and uh, see, thank a, you because that's I've for years I've been trying to do. I look at at the VA rating or do I look at the watts rating? And I've I've talked to people and I get different answers, but no one has been able to say definitively, like with full confidence, watt rating is what you want to go by. It is. And it, it's finally, I think the last time I looked at APC, they're finally starting to put that up there as something you need to look at. And it's definitely now an option in searching by load rating. But you're finally starting to see like APC make a move on it. But that load rating is, is what you need to go by because that is telling you how much full you know power load that particular power system can handle and if your electronics are pulling much greater load than what that is even if there's enough volts or amps to apply you know to supply that device for what it's currently pulling if it can't provide enough power for that load it's not going to you know give enough power to that electronics to initialize correctly or to operate correctly okay. so when you get a 1500 right. va unit yeah those are going to be anywhere normally from 700 watt to 965 watt or a thousand watt on average you'll you will see some occasionally that are up in 1100 watt range but most of them go in that particular range and you put a 1300 watt power supply on it where you have a lot of hardware in it it's more often than not it's not going to initialize completely you know the way it should because the load is not there available for it to initialize completely and now as an end user how would that manifest itself in my day-to-day -day operation if stability I'm that stability the system won't start up sometimes it crashes when they go to render it crashes that's kind of the biggest thing especially when you're at you know kind of on the outer edges of load capability yeah you won't necessarily run into it when you start it up and when you turn your editor on, right. but when you hit render and your system is, you know, basically up at 90% load or higher, yeah, it's pulling full power basically and your rendering crashes. Gotcha. So th that is the most common problem. And eventually because, you know, power supplies and, and power units like UPS units and power supplies, their efficiency or their ability to, you know, provide power drops over time is that gap is going to grow, especially that UPS unit is stressed so much where it just cannot provide, you know, enough power to the system and it's providing less and less over time. Eventually it's going to get to the point where, you know, it, it's going to cause your power supply to have problems. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for explaining. I'm so glad I asked that question. Thank you very much. Um, I'm glad you asked that question because I cannot <laughs> tell you how many people we've had who do that. It, it really, everything changed with the line interactive UPS units before. And those, and for line interactive, it, let me understand that. Mm -hmm. That's what they talk about when you read the marketing literature on mm -hmm. these units. They talk about basically getting you a nice clean sign curve, right? 
and well yeah they have they have you know the sine wave based units where yeah. it's an actual pure sine wave yeah and then they have what's called a simulated sine wave which is you know a digital sine wave right which is blocks okay right. um that's what they're talking about and they're using the transformer to generate that gotcha. that's how they're you know controlling the power it was meant to add a battery backup to a power filtering capability that's basically what that design was meant to do right. uh, from what i've read and you know how they put that together was using you know the transformer with the battery and that added both features the downside is is you now have to go by what that transformer can do because it's on you know it's on the power chain it's on the circuit right so that that's where the limitation involved before then everything was standby for the most part unless it was what's called online ups's uh, which basically always feed from the battery right. uh, but standby units basically it was like a surge protector with a battery right there's no power limitation it's just whatever comes from the wall is available right. until the battery flips and then when the battery flips then you got to be worried about the power draw but normally at that point the system is running its idle load or whatever your current utilization load is now when i'm looking and choosing these things do i care whether it's a digital sine wave generator or an analog or audio guys definitely because they often put very sensitive equipment on it right on computers not quite so what, much so on, on the audio guys what, what would they choose would they choose you definitely want a pure sine wave one a pure sine wave if you're going to have any gear on it right because the gear is much less robust to dealing with a digital sine wave from one i've read the digital sine wave because basically it's an immediate up peak right you know for it's like a square basically right and it's going to max you know voltage is the stress is much higher gotcha on the hardware uh with a pure sine wave you have the gradual increase and the gradual decrease so the stress is you know on the electronic hardware is less and then along with that you know obviously the circuits are built towards having a sine wave because you know of what you're dealing with normally ac uh, so the hardware itself is is running optimally electronically with a pure sine wave. A computer, the power supplies, if you're getting a computer with a bigger power supply in it, normally those have such, you know, hefty components and they can deal with a simulated sine wave relatively without problems. It doesn't really wear them down because they're built, you know, pretty robustly with robust components. When you get into the smaller power supplies, the components are going to be a lot cheaper, which is often when people have run into issues with the actual the digital sine wave the digital the, sine yeah. wave or the simulated sine waves yeah. that's when they've run into it with you know lower quality power supplies right here gold <laughs> i've been looking for a clear explanation of this for years thank you very much eric um, no problem one last thing before you move on from that yes okay you have to add for example if you have storage expansion chassis monitors yes, yes. you have to add all that into the equation Yes, so we're, we're not just looking at the max watt draw. Of, we're looking at basically adding it all up that's going to go onto that single unit, right? Correct. Yeah. So when you start dealing with storage and expansion chassis, more often than not, it's better to have a second UPS unit yep. for those, you know, in your other devices and in your computer on one because your computer is going to pull the biggest load. Got two more questions. Uh, let's... It's kind of circling a little bit back towards these expander boxes. And, you know, 
you hear a lot about like the Cubics. And I don't want to single them out as anything other than being in a, a very well-known expander box that's used widely in our business. Can I? It almost seems like magic to me that they're suddenly giving us another four lanes. We can put four cards in it suddenly, and it's all this magical. And are we really getting out of them what we think we're getting out of them when we start scaling up that way? Well, you're not going to get the same performances multiple devices on a board because each of the slots on the board have separate PCI Express lanes available to it. Right. In other words, electronic lanes, right. not physical lanes. Okay. Um, when you're dealing with an expansion chassis, you're basically, it's kind of like a SAS expander. Well, it basically is a, like a SAS expander. You're taking one slot and you're expanding it out to multiple slots. So you have, you know, your 16X slot, for example. That's what you're putting the expansion chassis controller card in. If you're not using the other slot and it has full 16X lanes available, you're dividing that, those 16 lanes amongst all the devices you have in your expansion chassis. That's your total highway. Yep. So, yeah, you do have an advantage that way, depending on what devices you're putting in there. Gotcha. If you're putting in, you know, for example, you know, a 8x raid guard, um, a 4x black magic guard, right? And that's it. You're probably okay. Right. But if you're putting in, a, you know, a video guard and a raid guard, now you're starting to deal with the fact that that, you know, raid guard maybe eating in on you know bandwidth that the video card could make use of right for example right so you're not going to get full performance out of that video card and when you do that so this is one of those things where you kind of got to compare okay what devices am i going to put have to put into it are the devices going to be ideal in it and then adding on top of that every time you add a hop in a pci express bus scenario you add latency Right. And that's really any scenario, but definitely in the PCI Express scenario. Right. And I guess when we're talking GPU cards, where already, you know, time is of importance uh, as we're dumping stuff, you know, off the CPU, through system RAM, onto the GPU and back again, that extra latency starts adding up. And then you're splitting that across one lane, across multiple lanes as well. Yeah, the, the, the added latency is, is one of those things where... It can cause a problem, and then again, it may not. Right. It just depends. So okay. normally, for example, in expansion chassis, I tell people to put in storage devices, network cards, you know, things like that, where the added latency is really not necessarily going to impact so much what you're trying to do. Right. And avoid putting video cards, and then you know, I/O cards, maybe, maybe not. Okay. Uh, so it it really just depends on what cards that you have to go in, and you know, what slots they have to go in. But on average, unless you're trying to build a you know resolve system for video cards and you have to put video cards in there, you try and avoid it. Fantastic. All right. Now, I figure we'd just spend a couple minutes left. We've eaten up a ton of your time. Thank you very much for, uh, for this part three and now this part four on this series. Um, Eric, let's talk a little bit about the future and what's coming up on the horizon and, and I'm just going to throw a couple concepts out at you. I'll give you a word and you just kind of give me your quick thoughts on how you think it, it will impact us as post-production professionals. Ryzen. Yeah, I've, I've read about that. <laughs> uh, 
what I've seen is Ryzen is basically the beginning of where AMD wants to go from here. Uh, they have some nice new features that they're implementing on the chip that long-term can really increase performance. One of the they have what's called adaptive, I think, processing or something along the line of adaptive processing, which really looks to seem like it has considerable potential to it. Right. Um, so down the road, AMD could potentially catch up to where Intel is maybe in the future. But as of right now, they're not because they don't have quad channel memory. Um, they, they still, their architecture from what I've seen is still not performing, outperforming the equivalent amount of cores in an Intel chip. Hmm. So they've still got some, you know, catching up to do. Is it cheaper? Yes. Does it give you, you know, possibly a viable cheap solution for a little render box or a still editor or, you know, something like that where it's just doing, you know, base uh, preview grading or something? Potentially so. Right. But the performance is still not going to get anywhere near, at least with the chips that I'm seeing so far, where like the current 10 core Intel, you know, 10 core Intel chip is going to be. Gotcha. All right. So another concept, DDR5. Uh, yes, but I've not seen anything in basically road mapping on when that is coming out. Definitely. Okay. Uh, but yes, you definitely could see a major performance increase with it. When we're going to see it, that's still to be debated. I, I thought it might be coming with Skylakey. I would not be surprised if Skylakey has it. Right. But I've not seen anything saying it will. And I think in previous conversations you said they're almost at the point where DDR4 is hitting DDR5 speed. Speed-wise. Yeah, speed. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, like DDR3 to DDR4, it wasn't just a speed increase. There was a bandwidth increase. Gotcha. In other words, the highway right. was bigger right, 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 from right. what I've seen. Right. Performance-wise, it definitely showed it. But with DDR5, I would expect there probably to be, you know, a bigger highway for it. But until we actually see, you know, Intel release it, because I'm pretty confident Intel is going to be the first one to really put DDR5 into the uh, market. And actually, Intel supposedly has another memory technology that's coming or they've already designed that may, you know, change things. Hmm. That might be why nobody's really talking about DDR5, because I, I have started hearing that Intel has a new memory technology that is a game changer for memory. Interesting. So we'll have to wait and see where wait that goes. And see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. PCI four, what are your thoughts? That's definitely going to be a big deal for editors okay. because it's essentially going to double the total bandwidth of P your PCI Express on your board that's available. Which they can translate to potentially just adding more lanes or they can potentially you know add more total throughput per slot. Or a combination thereof. Right. Uh, they can also, which is what I suspect the reason, you know, this whole roadmap was, you know, evolving this way with uh, SATA Express as well as EMVME, was they were going ahead to move to PCI Express 4 with the next iteration, which should be Skylakey unless Intel changes things. That definitely was going to have PCI Express 4 was... Uh, 
to add more channels available for storage that's no longer SATA. Which is what I think they're probably doing. This is where this is building is 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 getting storage off the whole SATA controller architecture and moving it over to SATA Express and NVMe. Gotcha. Which we talked about earlier, and uh, so I think we're going to wrap up here, Eric. And really, thank you so much for all of these interviews that we've had with you. Um, helping me understand the move I've made off of a Mac after, you know, 25 years onto a PC. And I can't tell you how valuable it's been for me and for uh, our Mixing Light members. So thank you, Eric, very much. And where can people find you, Eric? Uh, they can find me at um, support at adkvideoediting.com as far as an email goes. Uh, they can call the main number at ADK, uh, 859-635-5762, and uh, ask for me if I'm not there, which a lot of times I'm not, since a lot of times I just uh, consult with them. They can get a hold of me, and I can contact them back. Uh, you can also email me directly at uh, ericbowen1996 at yahoo.com. So I think what we're going to do is uh, I'd love to keep you – uh, on tap, so you know, who knows, six, eight, nine, ten months from now, maybe you see something you think we should know about. You reach out to me, otherwise, I'll reach out to you. Maybe we do a, a current state of, you know, uh, equipment and where we're at in the sure. future. Or if it, you know, you get another set of questions that, you know, people want to go over. There you go. Let's open this up for another round of questions. So that's what I'll do. If people have questions, put them in here, and uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll pick it back up. So thank. Thank you very much, Eric. And for MixingLight.com, I'm Patrick Inhofer, and I'll see you next time.